0: Amen. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, I want to draw your attention to verse 46, verse 46. Luke, chapter 1, verse 46, and it reads, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced, He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he spoke to our father's to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. And this morning, we just want to speak from the thought, Mary's Christmas song. Mary's Christmas song. Amen. This text to our Sunday school students should be familiar It was our text for last week's Sunday school. Amen. But in this season of giving and celebrating of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's birth, there could be no other passage more appropriate for today. Because this season, Jesus is the reason. Amen. Amen. So it's interesting That this text is a theologically sound text, but a song at the same time, with rhythm and poetry as well. And we find that in verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That is an indicator of what every believer in Jesus Christ's soul should be about magnifying the Lord not magnifying ourselves not magnifying other people or systems or philosophies but the Lord because sometimes we get caught up in systems that we know education that we have and we sometimes try to put it up on a pedestal instead of putting God on the pedestal because education will fail systems will fail but God will never fail. So why magnify things that fail and falter, things that are created, than magnify him who created all things? He is the one who's able to do everything and do everything well. So let's lift up the Lord and magnify his name. And whatever we do and however we do it, do not forget to magnify the Lord. Sometimes we can get caught up in things that we're doing and environments that we're in. But even in those times, never forget to lift up the name Jesus. I like the way athletes, and some of them do, when they win a game, that they say, all honor is given to my heavenly fathers, even to God, Jesus. They call out his name because they know they wouldn't even have an opportunity to compete if the Lord didn't give it to him. Amen? Now, looking at our text, Mary goes on to say in a song, she says, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That's good news right there because Mary understands that there's no other means of salvation except the Lord. Now, realize that Mary is still operating in an Old Testament context. Even though we're in the book of Luke, which is New Testament, the church has not come yet. Pentecost has not arised as we talked about in Sunday school. So she is familiar with the workings of the law. But she takes not pleasure in the law, but pleasure in her Savior, realizing that everything that she could do in the law would fall short. But she needed a savior, which is Christ, the Lord. Now this text goes on to say, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now I know that it's customary for a lot of people to put Mary up in a high place. But as we see from our text, Mary understood about herself something that nobody else did. And if you look at the text, she says that he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Mary understood that she was a sinner. She understood that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. She understood that she didn't do everything right. And she understood that she didn't deserve the blessings of the Lord. But she's not so much different from us. We're blessed in the Lord, and we know that we didn't deserve it. And so a lot of times Mary gets put at a higher place than what she really should be at. And if she was here to tell us, she would tell us so. That she was just like everybody else. And that she was found favor in the sight of the Lord. The Lord found favor with her not because she was so good but because it was his good pleasure. And that's the same story for every one of us who names the name Jesus. It's because of his good pleasure. When the Lord found me, he found me trying to be a better thief. Not a better Christian. He didn't find me trying to do a whole lot of good things. He found me doing things that were bad. But he met me on my road. And he stopped me in my place. And he blessed me and turned me around and put me on a new road. Praise his holy name. And every one of us got a similar story. It may not be what mine is, but you know a day when the Lord stopped you in your place. You were going left, but now you're going right. Ain't that good news? Amen. So every human being that is a child of God should have that story, should have that testimony of that God turned them around. So we look at our text and we see that from henceforth all generations will call her blessed. Look at the blessings of the Lord. When the Lord blesses you, it's an eternal blessing for her life that all nations would look at her and look back on her and say that she was blessed because she was the vessel in which God used to carry his son. But how blessed are we as well that God looked upon us and said we would be the vessels to carry his Holy Spirit. She carried Jesus, but we carry the Holy Spirit. Are we not blessed as well? And it's an eternal blessing because the Bible says that we will be sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Ephesians, you can find that text. And so as we go on to look at this, we see that she says, for he is mighty. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary understood. She was aware of the great things that the Lord had done for her. And that's how we've got to be. We've got to be aware that the things that are great and mighty that are done for us is not done by other people. It's not done by governments or by programs. It's done by the Lord. Because if we look back on the programs of our, of our past ancestors, if you will, and the programs that were done in our past, even FDR's program of Social Security, when it was created, it was such a great thing. And in its purity, it still is, but we live in a fallen world. And so now that system is on the verge of being bankrupt because systems will fail. But we don't put our trust in systems, do we? We put our trust in the Lord. And if this world goes on long enough, if Obamacare gets implemented completely and is working, it will someday fail as well. But the Christian does not look to governmental systems for our provision. We do not look to governmental systems for our protection. We look to the Lord. The silver and the gold is his, the cow on the thousand hills and the hills thereof. They are the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell in it, we trust in the Lord. So when we look at this text, we see holy is his name. God's got a name like no other name. By the name Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Holy is his name. His name is unique above any other name. At the name Jesus, every demon shall tremble. At the name Jesus, men shall be delivered. At the name Jesus, men shall be caught up in the air. It's at the name Jesus. Holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him for generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The text goes on to let us know that God shows mercy to those who are humble, those who fear the Lord. Those who realize that the Lord is more powerful than them and that they need the Lord and the Lord doesn't need them. See, when we look at this text and we talk about the deliverance, undoubtedly Mary was looking back to uh, the deliverance from Egypt. That was the greatest deliverance from Israel for all time was the deliverance out of Egypt. The Pharaoh thought he was God. He thought he was able to combat against God. But God showed him he is the one and only true God, that God would deliver them. He would crush the proudness of those proud folks and he would give them up to all of their wisdom and drown them in the sea. But in the midst of the drowning in the sea, the Israelites were in that same sea and God preserved them showing the power of the strong arm of God. As powerful as the waters are, he was able to separate the people of God out of that water and destroy the Egyptians. Amen? So looking at our text, we see that he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This goes on in parallel of our previous verses. Because what we see is that in that deliverance, he put Egypt down. But he didn't just put Egypt down. He put Babylon down. He put Persia down. He put Assyria down. And he puts our enemies down today. And eventually he will put down our greatest enemies of all. He will put down the enemies of Satan, the world, and the flesh. We will be delivered from the bondage of sin. The Satan will be thrown into the bottomless pit and the world will be burnt up in the fire. Ain't that good news, saints? Amen. Amen. Because his strong arm is able to deliver. What a gift in the seizing of giving. He gave the son who's going to do all these things and has shown his power over the years has showed us his power in delivering us from strong enemies even in this world. Because he is a deliverer from the world and all of its vices. Some of us can relate to being delivered from dope and delivered from drug addiction, delivered from whoremongering, delivered from adultery, delivered from all kinds of explicit sex activity. God delivers. Because we were under the bondage of sin, as I said, delivered from being a thief, some be delivered from being murderers. God is a deliverer, Amen. it doesn't matter how low you've gone, God is still able to get up under you and reach way down and pick us up. So that gives us encouragement, saints of God, because every one of us knows somebody that's in a desperate state of sinfulness but all we got to do is take a check on our own lives and see where we once were and it ought to give us confidence to know that they can be saved as well so saints of God don't be weary in well doing don't stop praying for those who are out there doing everything and anything and it doesn't look like they're going to turn because God has the last say on everything you keep on praying and you keep on trusting the Lord. You keep on ministering and let the Lord do what he does. Yes. Deacon Johnson was talking about this morning that somebody was on that deathbed and they accepted the Lord. See, the time is not out until the lights are out. So as long as blood is going warm in their veins and they are still able to breathe, then it's still time to serve the Lord. Did not Jesus tell the thief right on the cross, this day you shall be in paradise. So don't give up your prayers for those who aren't saved. Don't give up your ministry because you don't know what God's going to do, but you know what he can do. So don't be weary in well-doing, but keep up the good fight and finish the course. Because just maybe, just maybe the Lord will save their soul. It's almost like the story in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the believing spouse should not leave the unbelieving spouse. That it says perhaps by her good works that the other spouse may be saved. You don't know what your walk is doing for that person who's not living right. It may look like they're not paying attention at all. But a lot of them are working and paying attention to what you're doing. So just perhaps by you living right in the Lord, by you loving them, by showing them love, that they may turn from their ways and accept Jesus as their Savior, and then they'll get on the same roll as you and I. Amen? Amen. And so in our text, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Yeah. See, God is not interested in folks who are proud. No. Amen. Who folks that believe that they've done it all by pulling up their own bootstraps. No. The Bible says in Peter, it says that he resists the proud. Yeah. But he gives grace to the humble. The whole idea of resisting the proud is the idea that God causes them to go downward instead of upward when they're proud against him. I know when we look into the world, we see so many proud people and they've got great homes and they've got fancy cars. And it seems like they're living the life of luxury. But Asa said when he got to the house of the Lord. He became clear because he realized that this life is only temporary. They can live that way for this lifetime, but what happens afterwards? This life is only a blip on the timeline compared to eternity. So at this time, while they're being proud, they are setting up for themselves emptiness in eternity. Rich man Devis, he lived so well. But when rich man Devi's died, he opened up his eyes in torments. No longer did his sumptuous meals and clothing of purple make any difference. Now all he could scream out is, would somebody, anybody, dip their finger in the water and cool my tongue? For I am tormented in the flame. See, that's the reality that the proud refuse to receive. And that is if they leave this earth, no matter how many riches they have, without accepting Jesus Christ, they will be tormented in the flame. But see, the Satan and his system continue to try to keep them blinded. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the God of this world speaking of Satan, has blinded their eyes to the truth. But yet we continue to shine light into the dark and dismal world that some might see the reality of their error and turn from their wicked ways. But God also says he takes care of the lowly. He takes care of those who have been disenfranchised, have been set aside, marginalized, and that God seeks to take care of them. He says give to the poor for you will have the poor with you what? Always. But I want to let you know that being poor or poverty is not a license or is not an automatic exemption from hell and into heaven a ticket into heaven. Because some look at their position of being poor as an exemption from hell and a ticket to heaven. No. God has compassion on those who are poor, those who have been dejected, those who have been marginalized, those who have been disenfranchised. But unless they accept the Lord Jesus, then they go to the same place that the rich man deviates went. We all need the Lord Jesus. It is not our circumstances that sets up our eternal destiny, but it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Am I talking to somebody today? Is everybody on board? Amen? Amen. Amen. So we see in our text that she continues to say and sing, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Verse 54 is an interesting text. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In this context, Mary is talking about her nation, her people who God has helped. Not because they were so good, but because God in his tender what? Mercy. He remembered his mercy toward Israel. Israel was a stiff necked and stubborn people. But God kept visiting them and talking with them and saying, If you turn from your ways, then I will bless you again. I will show you my mercy. I will take you to a place that you can worship me. He was constantly telling them, If you disobey me, then you're going to pay a penalty for it. But if you turn, he told Israel, if you turn, and I'll give you pastors according to mine own heart. And I will bless you. And I will show you my will for you. And I will give you things that you do not understand right now. God continued to bless them in that way. And he does the same with you and I. We didn't deserve it. We are stiff necked people. But God's tender mercies said, turn. And turn unto me and I've got something for you that's greater than you could ever ask or think. But you got to turn. But God has set up a gift. The greatest gift of all, which is his son. In this season, the Christmas season, the birth of this gift. God's not going to force it on us. But we must receive him. We must ask the Lord to forgive us. We must ask the son to come in and live in our hearts. But it's only after our asking and allowing him in. God says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open the door, see, there's a portion for us to deal with that he will come in. But we got to open the door. And he will sup with us. He wants to commune with us. He wants to feed us. He wants to teach us, but we got to let him in. And sometimes in our lives as believers, we have the Holy Spirit, but we don't really commune with God the way we should. We, we, We know that we have his spirit, but our relationship is strained because of sin in our life. The closeness that we've had with God has become sort of separated. We've now began to look at how we can get things done ourselves and what we can do, what schemes and what plans we can put together to do something without calling on the Lord. But that's an easy thing to do when situations come upon you. When situations of, of hurt and pain and discouragement come, it's easier to get bogged down in that situation and forget to call on the Lord because those situations want to distract you. And get your attention on all of the trouble around you instead of looking up to him that can deliver you. That's simply what happened with Peter. Peter was believing and watching Jesus when he went out on the water. And he was walking on the water. But when he saw the trouble of the waves and took his attention off of Jesus, he began to sink. And that's what happens to us when we take our minds off of Jesus, trying to get through the situations of life. No matter how arduous, we may start to look at all of the things and all we do is get frustrated. We end up feeling really weak, really dejected, really disturbed because we've forgotten to go to the one who has all power in his hand. It may not happen for months and years on end, but for those brief moments, for those times when we need to look up, the world is constantly saying, look at me. But don't y'all forget, and whatever you're going through right now, when you're feeling weak, and you're feeling that you can't go on, look up. Because when you look up, there's one who's got all power in his hand. He's got power to keep you. He's got power to reach you. He's got power to deliver you out of the situations that you're in. The potter's house. He wants to put you back together again. We get marred by the things in life. We, we get hurt. We get angry. We get disturbed. We get, we get to the point to where we start to get hard. But we got to look to the potter. Because he wants to put us back together Again, he wants to smooth out those places that have been marred by the world and its situation, by our sinful flesh that wants to retaliate instead of pray. But God can do it, can't he? What he's done for others, he can do for you and me. And so as I come to a close, we see the master's commitment to all that he said he would do. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. But God kept his promise. God is a committed God to whatever he promises, he will do. He's not a man that he should lie, he will not repent against that which he promises. God said that he would be our provider. He would be with us till the end of the world. He said that all authority was given to him in heaven and in earth. This God that I'm talking about, you can depend. I know sometimes our situation seems like they're hopeless sometimes. But there's always hope in Jesus. Because he is a covenant keeper. Didn't David say, I was once young, but now I'm old. And I've never, ever seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. I know sometimes it looks like we're on the verge of going to be beggars. I know sometimes our situations get to where we're so short on money, so short on resources that we think we're going to be on the street. I'm not saying what I heard. I'm saying what I know. And that God in his time will still deliver because he cannot be short according to his promises. So you hold on in whatever you're dealing with, knowing that the Lord is with you. Sometimes the Lord gets quiet to see if you'll just trust him. If you can't hear from him, you got to trust his plan. So today I say to anyone here today who does not know this Savior has heard the words of this song that Mary sang with rejoicing and with praise that you can get to know him today. He died on the cross one Friday evening for the sins of the world. Past, present, and future, whoever you are who do not know him, you can get to know him today. He was buried, and he rose on that third day morning with all power in his hand. And he loved you so much that his arms are stretched wide for whoever will come and give their life to him. It won't cost you anything, because Jesus paid it all. It is a free gift that he wants to give to all Who will put their faith in him. Who will say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Lord, I need you to forgive me of my sins and to come and live in my heart. That's what the Lord is looking for today. He is looking for those who will fear him, believe that he will save them if they ask him. The Bible says we have not because we what? Ask not. But anybody who doesn't know Jesus as the Savior today, it's time to ask. Amen. It's time to ask. It's time to get this free gift. It's time to open the doors of your heart and to let him in. Yeah. He wants to come in and live with you. He wants to feed you. He wants to love on you. He wants to take good care of you. Yeah. And it's free because he's already paid the price. Come to
1: Jesus. Come.